Committed partnerships are just a gold mine of an opportunity for growth. Dig into the gold mine. Linda and Charlie Bloom have been married since 1972, trained as psychotherapists and relationship counselors. They've worked with individuals, couples, groups, and organizations since 1975 and have lectured and taught at learning institutes throughout the U.S. and internationally. They have authored five books and they are founders and co-directors of Bloom Work, which is based in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome, Linda and Charlie. Delighted to be with you, Lori. Thanks for inviting us. Pleasure. Let's start with your book, An End to Arguing, 101 Valuable Lessons for All Relationships. I'm thinking a lot of it comes from experience. You got it. What you're dealing with right here, right now, is a couple of recovered hotheads. We've been married for 50 years. And we've been together for 54. And we have been good students during that time because we didn't have good models in our family of relationship about how to handle conflict. And when we were early in this game back in our 20s, when we first met, we did all kinds of things that were unskillful, but we learned a lot. I felt a strong sense of responsibility to pay it forward. We got some exquisite help from some very important teachers in our life. And so we tried to distill down to essence in the book some of the most valuable things that we've learned. Tips and tricks? Yes, all of the above. <laughs> Um, I see how you are. <laughs> our first book is called 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married. Of the six books that we've written, that's been by far the best selling book. And what we realized is that 101 short chapters that are very concise provide useful, practical information. We've managed to pack a lot into each chapter. We offer suggestions. We put some context around some common ideas and beliefs. We also kind of challenge some of the prevailing beliefs and myths that a lot of us have grown up with, only to discover that they're not necessarily true. And we're living in a time where people aren't married as long as you are. So I feel like that gives you cred. That's where we learned a great deal of it. Believe me, it was trial and error. We made a lot of mistakes, but we learned from our mistakes. Especially you. <laughs> you give some statistics on couples that argue. Is arguing a good thing? It's better to have a really open, honest exchange of information. It can be intense. It can be passionate. It can be animated without going over the line to arguing, because that's when it becomes painful. When you get to that place where you're trying to coerce the other person into agreeing with you, to sing it your way, to change their behavior, you're grabbing too much ground. You can have your feelings, you can have your anger, your resentment, your disappointment, your fears, whatever your feelings are, they are welcome, but not to act them out not to get to the point where you're bullying the other person or you're threatening the other person, commanding, demanding, giving ultimatums. That's when people get into trouble. And they tend to go round and round with the same issues over and over because they don't calm down enough to get deep into the issue, which really upsetting them and riling them up. 
Something that came to mind was I've heard people say, oh, we've been married this many years and we never argue. And I always think, is that really a good thing? Boy, any couple that doesn't argue, man, that must be a really great relationship. And one of the <laughs> things that we found as relationship therapists is that's not necessarily a good thing because sometimes the reason they're not arguing is because they're not acknowledging the differences that they have. And, and we talk in the book a lot about the difference between conflict and having differences. And when people are not willing to acknowledge their differences, they withhold themselves and they don't engage in any constructive dialogue that can help them to negotiate the differences because all couples and all relationships have differences. And if you're not willing to acknowledge your differences, then the possibility of creating deeper understanding in the relationship is very, very limited. And it's likely they're both conflict phobic, which means that they're afraid of conflict. What would somebody do if the person that they're arguing with is like, I don't want to talk about it? I am a strong believer, and Charlie is really with me on this, about the person who's reluctant to get engaged in the discussion and who might stonewall and say, I don't want to talk about it. The person who really does want to talk about it needs to be very wise being the invitation and appeal to their enlightened self-interest that there's a lot in it for both of us, not just for me. We will be closer. The tension level is maybe going to go up temporarily, but then it'll go down. Our emotional and sexual intimacy could really improve. If we can help the person who tends to fear conflict, who has an association with it that it's dangerous, that it's not worth the discomfort that you have to go through, and that it's really costing them to leave these issues laying around incomplete. The volatile couples who don't even fight very well, who th threaten and name call and they curse and they do all manner of awful things, they throw things, they're still better off than the conflict avoidant couple, because as badly as they handle it, at least the issues are out in the open. Of course, it's the validating couples who are the best. They're the blue ribbon couples because they're refined about the way in which they listen to each other for understanding and agreement. But understanding, that's really hitting the jackpot. You think causes people to want so badly to avoid conflict. Well, when you think about it, as soon as you enter into a conversation that could provoke different points of view, you're taking a risk. There's multiple possibilities. One possibility is things could get worse before they get better. Just talking about something could provoke somebody's defensiveness or somebody's anger. There's a risk. And for many of us, we've grown up in families that did not have skillful means of addressing differences in a way that promoted mutual understanding. But things got worse and sometimes dangerously worse. We're not talking about a small percentage of people. We're talking about the majority of us humans <laughs> have not grown up in families in which skillful resolution of differences was modeled. We don't know how to do it. So many people that we deal with in our courses or in counseling sessions, 
They don't even believe that it's possible. Many of them don't even know anybody who has what they would consider to be a good relationship or a great relationship. We come with very, very limited expectations and feel pretty anxious and pretty concerned about the possibility. Well, at least we're not fighting right now. And I won't be worse. I won't. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I won't say something that I think might provoke this person. I don't want to step on any of their landmines either. Most of us have got good reason to have some trepidation about what it could mean to enter into this territory if we're not feeling some sense of confidence. This can have a positive outcome. When each person in a dialogue is trying to get the other person to come over to their point of view because they think that If they would just see it my way, there would be no problem. (laughs) But when both people see it that way, that's a prescription for disaster. How do we avoid going down that rabbit hole? Because once you're down there and you're at the bottom of it, there's already been a lot of damage done because you've been intentionally trying to inflict damage to the other person so that they become less of a threat. And this whole idea of win-win is a a golden thread that runs through the whole book. Do you know that people have to allow their vision to be big and realize they have a win-lose limitation in their thinking, that you have to have an open mind and look at the possibilities that co-creative process. And of course, there's a price to be paid. It takes more good communication to stay in dialogue until you can find some place where you both can feel somewhat satisfied and get your needs met. And we sometimes refer to this as creative synthesis, which is different than compromise. Because in the land of compromise, one person feels defeated like they had to give up too much. Sometimes both people feel that they had to give up too much. But if you stay in dialogue and you keep looking for the win-win solution and you keep looking for common ground, often possibilities that never occurred to either of you before present themselves. But it does require really good communication skills, not just articulating what we feel and need, but also deep listening to the other person, empathic listening, that kind of committed listening that it evolves into heart-to-heart connection, where people feel like they are playing on the same team. I have so many more questions, but I feel like this is an important place to stop and say, you know, some people don't believe in counseling or they refuse to go, but you have a lot of options. We have a website. It's called Bloomwork, B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K. And on the website, we have a lot of free information. We have hundreds of blogs that we have written about various aspects of relationships. We have a YouTube channel that's got many, many YouTube presentations. People can sign up for our newsletter, which comes out once a month. A lot of information. You can also get three free eBooks if they sign up to be on our mailing list. Plenty of free information to keep you busy for years. And that's one of the things that we're, uh, both Linda and I are committed to, which is lifelong learning. We have been studying and experiencing relationship building for over 50 years. And we've been working with clients and teaching seminars for over 40 years. We've accumulated a fair amount of pretty useful, practical 
information and we're we're really happy to to share it with people we also offer counseling services if people want to work with us in some way and we have our seminar schedule too. and people can be anywhere in the country in any place in the world because we're zooming all the time maybe this is a generation thing we easily go to well you can't teach an old dog new tricks i think that's one of the biggest obstacles that we run into what we call confirmation bias but that is very prevalent in in our culture and that there is a, a tendency for all of us really to once we decide something we want to confirm it we want to validate it and we resist any information that could be counter to what it is that we're taking on because we've got a lot invested in having this belief confirmed that's some of the, one of the things that we run up against and we have been i think reasonably successful in helping people to disengage from some of their attachments and you know that old adage about you can't teach old dogs new tricks? The canine researchers have proven that wrong, that old dogs do learn new tricks. It takes them longer to learn than, than a younger dog, but they do learn. I love that. Actually, it kind of goes with confirmation bias. It's like, wait a minute, that's not even true. That <laughs> thing you're holding on to to stay where you're at. Yeah, don't believe everything you think. Do you get mostly older couples or younger couples, or do you have a variety? We have the whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. And we have people who aren't in a committed partnership yet. And I love it when the really young ones come because they haven't got to do fixed beliefs yet. And they're preparatory, they're awake, that relationships are challenging. Most of our population is midlife. And I get the biggest kick out of it when we have older couples come to our workshop. And we have had couples who've been together 50 years like us who are still on their growing edge. And I think that is so commendable because there is so much to learn about having a great relationship. But you have to let your imagination be big. You have to feel worthy of having a great relationship. And I'm from the practical school of thought. I feel like while we're in them, we might as well go for the gold and have the best one that we can. Really have a growth orientation. Let's use everything that the relationship tosses up for us as a growth opportunity, especially the differences. I've learned so much from Charlie over the years. He's a very introverted guy. He's satisfied with his own company. I have learned a lot about being with myself. I don't have to be with people all the time, and I don't necessarily have to be lonely. I can be alone, and I can be perfectly happy. I like to think he's learned a lot about being social and a good communicator for me. I'm a flaming extrovert. In the early days, because I'm a recovered conflict-phobic person, in the early days, he taught me to fight. And we weren't too skillful about the way we went out in the early years, but I'm glad that I came out of hiding and I recovered from conflict phobia. And then we became a validating couple. And I will be grateful all of my days that he helped me to find a way to be honest about my feelings and needs without the blame and judgment part, because that's where you cause harm and invite retaliation from other people. I feel like there's a theme and it is about something about opposites, not being the same. There's a saying that opposites attract. We see it as compliments attract. People who have complementary strengths 
so that we can each bring us something that it can be an enhancement to each other's less developed areas. People ask us, why do I always choose people who are so different from me? Why can't I find somebody who's more like me? Well, the reason is we wouldn't be attracted to somebody who's got identical perspectives to ourselves. I'm not talking about early values or political views. I'm talking about whose growing edge was exactly the same as ours. We tend to be more attracted to people who can bring something that can expand, not reinforce our existing limited perspectives. Yeah. We all ultimately are motivated by the same desire, which is to bring more fulfillment and peace and inner joy into our lives. That's ultimately what we're looking for. Now, we all have our own paths to take that we think are going to take us there. Some people think that if I get a lot of money, then that'll take me there. Or some people think if I find the right mate, that'll take me there, uh, or some combination of things like that. But ultimately, that's really what we all want. But the paradox is that if I just focus on what I want, we all want to have good relationships. But if I only focus on what's going to bring me pleasure in my relationship, then I'm going to be at risk of causing the other person to feel neglected, to feel unfulfilled. And if they're unhappy, then that's going to limit my ability to mm -hmm. be happy. It's really uh, difficult to be happy in a relationship in which the most important person in your life is miserable because you have worked so hard to get what you want and you've been like a bull in the china shop trying to get them out of your way or get them to provide what you need and you haven't given any thought to well, what about them that's what makes a relationship so challenging is we've got to both take total responsibility for fulfilling our own needs but at the same time not be neglectful of the other person not easy. I love that you say there are three words to never use in an argument. Yes, <laughs> you're being defensive. And the first word out of your mouth, if it's you, you're already in trouble. Whatever follows that, because people feel attacked. They feel blamed. They feel like you're making them bad and wrong. We're way better off if we speak about our own experience. So people have been seeing this in the media for a long time, that it's a really good communication skill to make I statements and to talk about your feelings. And then they say, I feel that you're really misbehaving, exploiting me and making me crazy. But it has to really be I feel to stay with our own experience. It doesn't guarantee that it won't trigger the other person, but you have the deck stacked for success if you're talking about your own experience, particularly if you're irritated or resentful or angry. If you stay with your own deeper inner experience, there's generally fear or hurt or both underneath the anger. And when people are brave enough and self-disciplined enough to tap into their very tender, vulnerable feelings and expose those, it helps the safety and security of the whole environment of the relationship. And it invites openness, 
open-heartedness and vulnerability from the other person. It doesn't guarantee it. It just encourages it. So that's why it requires a lot of courage to speak from our own tender experience. How to repair trust once it's been broken. Sometimes that seems like a like a deal breaker. And a lot of people relate to it as a deal breaker and they decide once they feel betrayed in some way, because many people carry a belief, if somebody violates trust by breaking an important agreement, that you can never trust them again. What we have found is that um, whether or not trust can be re restored when there's been a violation of it does not depend upon the severity of the offense. So we've had people who have experienced multiple violations of trust who have somehow managed to not only restore trust again, but they've brought it up to a higher level than it had been. And years later, after the initial experiences, continue to maintain a trusting relationship. And then we've had people that we've worked with who have had relatively minor violations of trust, but for various reasons, they're so sensitive to any violation of it, so fearful that that could mean if they forgive the other person or let go of their grievance, they're afraid that they're going to continue to be exploited and hurt. It's not a matter of how serious was the violation. It's a matter of how open people are to be willing to deal with the residue of the offense of the violation. It usually takes longer and requires more than you think it should to, quote, get over it. Whenever we hear somebody say to their partner, you need to get over it, we know that's the kiss of death. That is just basically what they're saying is, you should be done with this. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. I know I screwed up, but let it go. And you know what? It takes longer than most of us think it should to, quote, let it go. But it is doable. It's doable. But you if both, there's a will, you got to be willing to really grapple with this honestly, with vulnerability and sometimes with the help of a third party to keep from getting too reactive. It can be restored. It can be even built to a deeper level than it was before. But it's going to take time and it's going to take work. We've heard it said from a spiritual teacher, committed partnership is the fast track to enlightenment. It's a hot fire. But if you really use that opportunity, it can take you a ways in becoming the best that you could be. Yep. I love that. Okay. The most underutilized practice in most relationships. The big tool in the toolbox that people don't use nearly enough. When they start to get overheated, and they're triggered, their reptilian brain is the only part that's working. That's only knows fight and flight and freeze. They need to take a break. They need to have the agreement in place before they even have the discussion that if either one of them feels like they're getting overheated, where they're going to say things they're sorry for, either one of them, whoever has the consciousness that they need it first, say, I need a little time to think about that. I'm going, but I'm coming back. And they don't stomp or slam the door when they go. And they don't say, you're impossible to deal with, so I'm out of here. They do it in a very polite, respectful way. But when you settle down, sometimes it only takes a few breaths 
If you're really activated, you may need longer than that, but you should never take more than 24 hours. Less is better, but when you're more composed and then you re-engage, you've got your neocortex working for you. So you have all kinds of possibilities. Your memory is actually activated so that you can remember the important things that you learned when you read the books about living with a higher consciousness and good, skillful conflict management. You can find some common ground. You can bring goodwill. You can ask questions. You can be conciliatory and all the things that really help to get complete with issue, not resolve once and for all, but the energy can lighten up. Underutilized tool is a timeout. When we were raising our kids, one of my sons, he was just a little boy at the time. I think kids ought to be able to send their parents to their room. And he was right. Because sometimes we're just acting like self-indulgent brats and we need a little time out to compose ourselves and come back and be diplomatic and respectful about the way we're communicating. Committed partnerships are just a gold mine of an opportunity for growth. Dig into the gold mine because you can learn so much about yourself. You can learn so much about the person that you're close to. You can have a blue ribbon relationship. And the research is so clear about you get the biggest bang for your buck when you put your time and attention into your relationships. Because not only do you have emotional, psychological well-being, you've got the health and longevity bonus too. So there's a lot riding on it. The happiest people are the ones who have the depth and the breadth of close relationships and learning how to resolve and to handle differences well is a very key component to having really smoking hot, good relationships. And it sounds like it's never too late. Never too late. Linda and Charlie Bloom, thank you so much for joining us. Your latest book is An End to Arguing, which is not that arguing is a bad thing, but good ways to argue 101 valuable lessons for all relationships. How can people find you? The website is Bloomwork. That is B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K dot com. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference.